Well, today we're, we're finishing up a series that we've been doing over the last several weeks called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And, um, you know, it's interesting because a, a lot of people, a, a lot of people misunderstand the person of Jesus, uh, and a lot of people misunderstand the teaching of Jesus. So people will often say, you hear this in, in you know, secular society today a lot, that Jesus is really just another good teacher. He's a, he was a religious leader, uh, a leader of a religious movement, and he's really on par with all the other religious leaders throughout human history. So, so he's, he's just kind of right up there with, with Buddha and Muhammad and Confucius and all these guys. And so, um, and so a lot of people misunderstand him and try to equate him with just another religious leader. And, and then there's an, another group, and maybe uh, there's a lot of overlap in this, but there are a lot of people that just misunderstand the teaching of Jesus. And uh, because they're not really aware of his teaching, they will overgeneralize it and say that Jesus was a good teacher. He was just a, a man who went around preaching love and tolerance and acceptance to, to everybody. And that we have this kind of picture of Jesus that he was kind of super encouraging and just super positive. And uh, he did a lot of super nice things and he said a lot of super great things, you know. And so we just have this kind of picture of him. And, and it's, it's really not the picture of him we see in scripture. Uh, it, it really isn't. Now, now, make no mistake about it. Jesus was always kind and always loving and, and always encouraging. But a lot of people struggled with his teaching. A lot of people struggled with what he said. And there are a number of instances in the Gospels where you'll notice that he is teaching a crowd or he's teaching a group of people. And a number of those people just kind of throw up their hands and say, this is too hard. And they turn and walk away. And then you see other instances of Jesus teaching crowds uh, in the Gospels. And there's a, there's a group of people within that crowd walking away saying, we've got to kill him. We've got to get rid of him. This guy is a threat. And we need to do him in. And so while Jesus was always loving, Jesus had a way of speaking to our hearts and going right to the heart of the issue as he was calling us to repentance, as he was calling us to turn away from our sin and turn to God. And uh, sometimes that kind of rubbed people the wrong way. Now, you look at some of the sayings and the teachings of Jesus, and you'll notice that some of those, those statements that he uttered are hard because they're just hard to hear. They're just hard to hear. Like Jesus would say, you know, if your right, if your right eye causes you to sin, you need to take it out. And if your right hand causes you to sin, you need to cut it off. Well, that's hard. And obviously Jesus is not speaking literally there, but what he's talking about is the sin is such a serious issue, we need to be radical in dealing with it and not tolerating it in our life because the implication is it will destroy us. And so sometimes what Jesus said was really hard. Other times um, was hard to hear, but other times Jesus would say something that, you know, that wasn't really hard to hear, but it's just hard to do. Like when Jesus said, be anxious for nothing. We're living in the age of anxiety where most of us are struggling with anxiety and we know it's hard to be anxious for nothing. And so I haven't met anybody that just says, you know, I just love being anxious. You know, it's so much fun. I, I haven't had a panic attack in so long. I just can't wait for the next one, you know. Uh, but it's really hard to choose to trust in that way, isn't it? 
And so some of the things that Jesus said were hard, hard to hear. Some were hard to do. But here's this third category. And this is the one I kind of want to camp in today. Uh, some of the things that Jesus said, not really hard to hear. We don't want to do it. We just don't want to. You know, when Jesus says, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. There are a lot of people that just don't want to do that. A lot of people in church don't want to do that. If we could just be honest. And so this, the saying of Jesus that we're going to look at today, I think falls in this category. It's the, it's the difficult saying of Jesus where he's talking about our earthly treasure. He's talking about our worldly wealth. He's talking about, he's talking about our money. And, um, you know, he says, you know, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, uh, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. We really struggle with this. And uh, a lot of you right now are saying, man, did I pick the wrong Sunday to come to church today because what he's going to be talking about. But I want you to, I want us to kind of dig into what he says about this so that we can understand uh, the mind of God on this, and, and, and maybe, maybe uh, as we do that, as we open up our hearts to God, His Holy Spirit will, will soften us so that, uh, so that we will do what He says. So uh, we're going to read Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. So I'm going to ask, just out of reverence for the Word of God, would you, would you stand, if you're willing and able, as we read the Word of God today? Jesus says it like this in verse 19. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and he'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It lasts forever. You may be seated. I, I think as Christians, we really struggle with this. I, I think particularly as Christians living in America, um, in this day and time, we, we, we live in the richest country in the history of the world. We're part of the richest 10% of the people uh, in the history of the world. And we, we really struggle with this. Um, Jesus comes and he says, do not store up treasure on earth. He says to store up treasure, treasure in heaven. And he's, he's just really giving us giving us two options here. Either we're storing up treasure on earth or we're storing up treasure in heaven. That, that's, that's the only option that we have. And I think part of, part of this is that I struggle with this, you struggle with this because, because we just don't always understand what it means to store up treasure in heaven. And storing up treasure on earth you know, at least it's tangible. You know, we, we can get our mind around that. We can get our hands on that. We can see the bottom line, literally. And there's an, a, there's an immediate reward. But when you're talking about building treasure in heaven, it, that's a little bit more vague to us. I mean, we just don't, we don't quickly connect to what that really is, to what that really means to store up treasure 
in heaven. And so, and there's certainly not an immediate reward for that. It's kind of like we're, you know, we're packing it away for at some point in the future. And so we really struggle with this. But, but here's the thing, church. This is clearly not a suggestion from the mouth of Jesus. I mean, clearly he's not offering us some good advice. He's not saying, you know, if you guys get around to it, I know how busy you are. If you can just kind of get around to it every now and then, just do some investing uh, in heaven, do some storing up in heaven, that, that would be really, really good. No, what he's saying here, it's not optional for a Christian. It's a command and it's an imperative. And so then my question is, well, what does this look like? Like practically, what does it really look like to, to not store up treasure on earth, but to store up treasure in heaven? What, is, what does this mean for us as, as uh, very well-off Christians in America? What does it look like? Does this, mean that, does this mean that we can't own a home? When Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, does that mean we shouldn't own a home that we that we can't buy the new iPhone when it comes out? Does it mean that we shouldn't have investment accounts and a 401k and a, you know, kind of a retirement plan? Does it mean that we shouldn't seek out a better job, a better paying job? Is that what it means? Uh, that maybe, maybe what he's talking about is it's a sin just to be wealthy. Is that what he's talking about? I don't think the point that Jesus is trying to make here is that as Christians, in order to follow Jesus, we have to take a vow of poverty. I don't think that's, I don't think that's what he's saying at all. Now, there are Christians who God has called them to kind of leave everything behind and go live in another country and basically live in, in, in very poor, uh, poverty-stricken conditions. But, uh, and, and some people do that. But I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is calling us to do. So here's what I want to do. I want to just share two or three scriptures with you. And you don't, you don't have to turn there in your Bible because I'm just going to show these to you quickly. But I want to just kind of frame this so that we understand it and we see it clearly. And the first one comes from the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 6, verse 6. And I want you to notice what the writer of Proverbs says. He says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slender, a, a little folding of the hands to rest. And what does he say? Poverty will come upon you like a robber and once like an armed man. So, so clearly what, what the writer of Proverbs is warning us about is laziness. That laziness can lead to poverty. That there's, there's wisdom in working hard and saving up uh, for the future. If we don't, then poverty will come upon us, all right? Let's, let's go to the New Testament, 1 Timothy 5, 8. So the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, and this is what he says, but if anyone doesn't provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So apparently there were some of the folks in T Timothy's church where he was pastoring that were not providing for their family. And so what Paul is saying is it's a God-honoring thing for us to work and earn wealth and to use that wealth to provide for our families. That is a God-honoring, that is a God-honoring practice. Let me show you one more, Job 42, verse 12. This is at the end of the book of Job. 
and uh, Job has lost everything. He's lost his health, his wealth. He has lost his family. And uh, Job has been faithful to God through this. Um, and then what we see at the very end of the book of Job, it says this, and the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 female donkeys. Now, this is an Old Testament way of saying God made Job filthy rich. That's what, it's, that's what he's saying right here. That is it in the original Hebrew. And so, so, so just looking at those three passages of Scripture, obviously what we see is having wealth is not sinful. That is not sinful. And um, it's, it's just really clear. Now, if, if wealth is gained through ill-gotten means, if, if wealth owns our hearts, then it does become sinful. But, but wealth in and of itself is not sinful. So then here's the question I have. How do these verses really reconcile with the teaching of Jesus, this hard saying that we have in the Sermon on the Mount? Let me just read it to you again. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy and thieves will not break in and steal. So I really think that the answer to the question is in a phrase in that passage. And let me just show you the phrase. It's in verse 19. It's that phrase, for yourselves. I think that's the key to unlocking what Jesus is saying in this in this passage he says do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth for yourselves i think that is that is the whole ball game i think the point that jesus is simply trying to make is that is that a believer must not see the wealth and the money and the stuff that they have as just for them it's not to be used just for them I think that's what he's saying, that we should be utilizing and using and putting to work the blessings that God has given us in such a way that, that, it's, that it's impacting people's lives. And, and in that way, it is a storing up of treasure in heaven. In other words, accumulating wealth is not a sin, but accumulating wealth just for me, for myself, for yourselves, is think that's what Jesus is saying. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to just give you very simply three reasons why we should store up treasure in heaven. Just three very simple reasons today why you and I need to be investing in heaven, why we need to be investing in the kingdom of God. Number one, let me share this with you. My heart follows my treasure. That's the first reason we should store up treasure in heaven. My heart always follows my treasure. Let me show it to you in verses 19, 20, and 21. Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's the key verse. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, if you want to know who has your heart? Just look at your, tr your treasure. If you want to know the location of your heart, just look at the location of your treasure. I can say all day long, church, that God has my heart. My words can articulate and communicate that God has my heart. 
but my words and my mouth are not the best indicator of who has my heart. The best indicator of who has my heart is where my treasure is. My heart always follows my treasure. That's, that's the best indicator. Show me your treasure and I see a picture of your heart. Now, admittedly, church, this is hard. This is hard for all of us. Because in essence, what Jesus is saying is if we use our money and we use our house and our car and our stuff and our career and our job, not for the Lord, not for the glory of God, not for the winning of souls, but we use it for us, for our comfort, you know, for our feeling of security, then it's clear that God doesn't own our heart. The world owns our heart. What Jesus is saying here is this, that what we treasure ultimately governs us. What we treasure rules us. That if you identify a person's treasure, you identify their heart and where their heart is set. In other words, another way of saying it, this is one of the commentators said it this way, show me a person's goals and you'll see a person's gods. Because our heart always follows our treasure, it always does. And so what we value, what we treasure tugs at our minds, it pulls at our emotions, it uh, occupies our, our time and our energy because what are we thinking about? We're thinking about getting wealth and increasing wealth, protecting wealth and saving for wealth and having wealth and enjoying wealth. And, and the like. And so, and so that's where our mind is. That's where our heart goes. And so, and so that's why Jesus is, is really challenging us to store up treasure, to store up treasure in heaven. Now, he, he also gives us a couple of other reasons why this is so important, why we shouldn't store up treasure uh, on earth. And, um, and, and that's because it's, it's corruptible. It's losable. In fact, we will lose it. Ultimately, it's just ours for a short period of time and then it, and then it, you know, it vacates our possession, right? And so Jesus knows that. He, he talks about the illustration of moths and rust destroying it and thieves breaking in and, and stealing, but I, I'm sure he has in mind inflation, right? I, I'm sure he has in mind taxation. I'm sure, I mean, he, he definitely has in mind robbery. I'm sure he also has in mind market downturns. All of these things are reasons why we shouldn't be storing up treasure on earth because our wealth is corruptible. And, and, and probably the biggest reason is we're not going to take it with us. We're not going to take it with us. It's kind of like that old preacher joke. You've never, you've never seen a you know, uh, a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? You've never seen that. And uh, because we're really not going to take it with us. And I think what Jesus is simply trying to communicate is, is earthly wealth ultimately doesn't have value in eternity. It's what you do with it that produces the value. But, but, but earthly wealth and possessions and stuff, it's just not going to last. It, it's going to, it's going to, be burned up it's going to be lost it's going to be taken from us and and the like and so Jesus says it's like he's saying he doesn't say it but it's like he's implying your heart's worth more 
than earthly treasure. Because your heart's going to last forever. I think that's what he's getting at. You know, several years ago, a Russian jet shot down a, a Korean jetliner over the Sea of Japan, and it killed, you know, all 269 people uh, that were on that jetliner. And, uh, you know, someone made the observation that, um, you know, bef- before the plane crash, there were obviously different kinds of people on board, but there was, there was a real important politician on board that, that jetliner. Uh, there was a multimillionaire on that jetliner. There was a renowned playboy and his girlfriend on that jetliner. And there was a missionary. And so that plane goes down and they all die. Now think about this, church. Let's just, just think hypothetically with me. When they stand before God, they are absolutely equal before God. Because they don't have their wealth. They don't have their MasterCard. They don't have their checking account. They don't have their, their mansions. They don't have their, their people. All that they have as they stand before God is their heart. That's all they have. And I think that's what Jesus is saying is, is that when we step into eternity, we're not bringing it with us because it's not important. It's not ultimately important. And so he comes along and he says, I want you to think about the two options. I want you to think about storing up treasure on earth and storing up treasure in heaven. And where I want your heart to be is storing up treasure in heaven. That's where it makes all the difference in the world. All right, but then number two, The second reason why we need to store up treasure in heaven is this. My stewardship is directly connected to my spiritual life. That's what Jesus is saying. There's a direct connection between my financial management and my spiritual life. We like to try to compartmentalize our lives and kind of divide up things into sections. But you don't, as human beings, we can't really do that because we're one person. And and so everything is interrelated. Everything is interconnected. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Let me me show it to you. Verses 21 and 22, Jesus says, for where your your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. See the connection? But then in verse 22, he illustrates the connection. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, church, can I just be honest with you? For the longest time, I had no idea what that meant. Like, I don't even understand this. What is is he even saying? It doesn't even make sense. I mean, it seems like he starts talking about money in verses 19, and then then he's talking about money at the end where you can't serve two masters, you can't serve both God and money, which we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. And then right in the middle, he starts talking about light in your eyes, and it's like he's, he's changed change the subject. Anybody following me on that? It just seems like he's, I don't know, going, going, uh, chasing a bunny, bunny rabbit right there. I don't know. But, um, but as I was digging into the commentaries on this, he's not changing the subject at all. What he's doing is he's illustrating his point. And so, and so the Jewish people believe that your eyes were really important. They, they really believe that your eyes directed the rest of your body. So in other words, 
wherever your eye was looking, you know, your, your heart, your mind, your soul would follow it. So what you are focused on really determines the direction of your life. That's what Jesus is talking about. And, and so he's making the statement that if the eyes are kind of the lamp of the body, it's really important to be thinking about what you're focusing your life on because your heart, all of yourself, is going to follow where you're focused. And then he uses kind of the illustration of the lamp, you know, and, and uh, he's just kind of talking about, you know, you put a match down in, into a lamp and it just lights the whole lamp up. And so if your eyes are focused on something that's good, it brings light into your entire being, your entire soul, mind, spirit, the whole thing. That's why he says, so if your eye is healthy, he says, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. That word healthy there is the Greek word haplous. And it, it's interesting because that word means, it just simply means straight. It means simple. It means singular focus. So you could, you could translate it this way. You could say, if, if, if your eye has a godly singular focus to it, like storing up treasure in heaven, then your whole body, your whole life will be filled with light. And then he says the flip side is also true in the same way. Verse 23, if your eye is bad, in other words, what you're focusing on is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. And so, so what he's saying is this, if you set your gaze on the kingdom of God, your whole life will reap the joy and the light of that. That's what he's talking about. Another way of saying it would be there's a direct connection between my stewardship, how I handle wealth, and my spiritual life. A direct connection between it because we are an integrated whole. We're not a segmented, fragmented being. Everything is interrelated. Everything is connected. So my management of money, my perspective on money, how I think about money, all of that goes into impacting my, my daily life. Now, I was reading uh, Gordon McDonald. He's a former pastor and, and church leader. And he's an author. And he was, he was talking about um, how God worked in him um, about the importance of being a cheerful giver. And uh, he and his wife, Gail, took this mission trip to to West Africa and uh, they were there over the course of a Sunday. And so they were going to church on a Sunday morning and uh, it was a fairly large church and they're, they're walking to church and it's, there are a lot of poor Christians in, in West Africa. And so there were a lot of poor Christians in this church and they looked around as they're heading into the church building, everybody in the church was carrying something, he said. Some people were carrying cages full of chickens. Some people had uh, bags full of yams. Uh, other people had bags full of beans. Some people had baskets full of, of eggs. Everybody had something except for Gordon and Gail. And uh, so he turned to his host and said, hey, what's going on here? Why is everybody bringing something with them to church? And his host said, just, just wait, you'll see what happens. So they gathered for worship and they started worshiping God and it was the offering time in the church. And everybody started moving into the aisles they're clapping, they're singing, they're praying, they're praising God, they're thanking God as they're moving forward. And this was their offering. 
This is how they were, this is how they were celebrating the offering. And so they were giving all of this because it was going to go to the church and then be dispersed to those in need. And people were doing it just in joy. They, they, were, they were doing it in freedom and in love and in faith, knowing that God, you know, was going to get the glory. And he said, that's when the process for me started, when I really began to understand what it means to be a cheerful giver. And he said, he said, our approach in the States of, you know, keeping money under the radar, that kind of approach, you know, and our giving the way we give uh, certainly would never work in West Africa. Now, why do I share that story with you? Very simply, because really giving is a part of worship. You know, giving is a part of how we worship God, and it's an expression of our faith. It's an expression of our love. There's this connection between our stewardship and our spiritual life. That's, that's so huge, and that's what Jesus is talking about. But there's a third reason why you and I need to store up treasure in heaven, and that is this. My heart can, can only have one master. My heart can only have one master. Notice, notice what Jesus says in verse 24. He says this, he says, no one can serve two masters for either he'll hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so Jesus knows, he knows that in my heart, there's only room for one master. There's only room for one. He says, you can't, you can't serve two masters. You're going to be torn between them. You're going to be at war between them, trying to please both of them, and you're never going to be able to do it. And so what he says is you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to make a choice. You're going to have to pick which one. And the reason why, he says, is really interesting. The reason why we can't serve two masters is because what he says is this. You're going to hate the one and love the other, or you're going to hate the other and love the one. So you're going to have to pick. And so, and so a lot of times I think what happens is what we try to do in our Christian life is just compromise between the two. We want the, we want the best that the world can give, but we also want the best that God can give. And so what we try to do is we try to do both. We try to straddle the fence. And then it puts us in conflict between both masters because God is always working. The Holy Spirit is always moving in our life, drawing us to himself so that he can be our master. But we have the flesh and the pull of the world and the lust for riches in the world that's also pulling on us. And it's just this constant tension. And a lot of times what we do is we lie to ourselves or the enemy lies to us. And we go out those doors thinking, well, I'm going to serve money. And then I'm going to come back to church every now and then and, and sing to God and then just kind of pretend that I love God too. And it's just a lie. And what Jesus says is you're going to have to make a choice. If money is your master, God is not. If God is your master, then, then you're going to use money for the kingdom of God and for his purposes. I, I, think, I, I think part of why this is such a hard statement from Jesus is that, and follow me on this, okay? The reason why this is such a hard statement is what we do with our money is a salvation issue. It really is. And I'm not saying that, you know, you have to steward your money in order to be saved. 
but I am saying that your stewardship of money is evidence that you are saved. Doesn't mean you're perfect at it, but it means you have a desire and you're growing and you're taking steps to be, to be all the steward that God, God wants you to be. So, so how, do I, how do I even begin this? I mean, how do I, how do I even start down this road of storing up, storing up treasure in heaven? Let me, let me just get really practical as I close. Let me, let me give you three ways to just start the process, all right? Here's the first one. What I would say is if you want to store up treasure in heaven, I would encourage you to start giving to God first. Start giving to God first. Make it your practice that God gets the first amount before anything else in your life. A lot of times what we try to do is we try to pay all of our expenses and finance all of our needs and our wants. And then if there's anything left over, we give out of the leftovers. And I think what we need to do is recognize what we see all the way through Scripture. And that is God asked for our best. He asked for the first. He did it with the people of God in the Old Testament where he asked them to give the first fruits, which are usually the best ones. And um, he asked the people that, to bring those in first and uh, not bring in the leftovers, that we would, that we would really see that uh, God deserves our first. And it's, and it's interesting because in Corinthians, the apostle Paul says, on the first day of the week, you should bring something in proportion to how God has blessed you and give that to God. The implication of that is this, the first day of the week is, the is really the first day of your expenses. So the very first thing that goes is your giving to the kingdom of God. And so my challenge to all of us would be to let, to let God, to let God be, to be first in your life. And so, so when I give church, when I make out our check as, as the Luck family, let me see if I have it with me. I don't have it with me, but um, I have to do that. I have to do it. Not because God needs it, but I need to do it. Because it's a reminder to me that God is first in my life that he gets first place in me. And church, I don't know about you, but there are times when I drift from that and I forget that. And so the discipline of, of allocating that and setting that side first reminds me that God is first. So that's what I would encourage you to do is give to God first. Second thing is I would encourage you as your pastor to get on a budget. Get on a budget. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of people in America uh, have allowed debt to hinder their generosity. They're living under just the crushing burden of debt. And I'm not talking about, you know, student loan debt. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about medical bill debt. I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about debt that comes from iPhones and flat screen TVs and eating out all the time and, you know, lavish vacations and all of that. that, that that's, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that as the people of God we live within our means. That that's the source of contentment and joy because we're trusting in God. And so we're, we're, a, we're able to support the work of God because we're living within our means. There are a lot of people that just can't give because they, they live off 110% of, of, of what they make. And so, so my, my encouragement to you would be to develop a financial plan. Interestingly enough, 
you know, we've got, we've got a team of people in our church that are really good at equipping people at developing a financial plan. So if that's something you need help with, you know, you need to let us know because I, I think we've got like five or six that would love to meet with you one-on-one and just say, hey, let's just sit, sit down and kind of walk through, here's what it would look like. Here's, what, here's how you could live and, and, a, and a, here's how you could at least get started. So, so start, on a, start on a budget and start thinking through what that looks like. And then lastly, here's what I would say in closing, is give, give uh, in other ways to glorify God. Give in other ways. So not just, not just your money, but your prayers and your time and your love. And uh, those are expressions of where your heart is as well. You know, God is a giver. And God wants his people to give in every area of our life. Let me, uh, let me close with this story. Um, I was worried we didn't pay the electric bill there. So... Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> Robert Morris is a pastor and an author, and he shares in his book, The Blessed Life, he, he talks about when he first became a Christian, he was telling everybody about Jesus everywhere he went. So he and his wife went out to eat, and, uh, and he just felt led. Uh, the waitress was serving them, and he just made the decision just kind of on the fly. His wife ordered, but he chose not to order so that he could take the money he would have spent on the meal and just give the waitress an extra big tip and that he would leave, leave with her a gospel tract. So they, you know, they, they had their meal and, and uh, he left a really nice tip and uh, he put the tip inside this gospel tract and uh, he said something to the waitress about, you know, how, how much God loved her and, and then they left. And uh, he said, you know, for that month, he said, I prayed for that waitress. And then a month later, you know, a month after they went there the first time, they ate in that restaurant again. And they requested the very same server. So they're sitting in the restaurant and they, they order and they finish up. And, and uh, <clears throat> he ordered a $10 meal. And uh, he had been praying for her. And God had provided, um, just unexpectedly, a way that he could give her $50. So he's got a $10 meal. And... Uh, and he leaves her a tip for $50 and he leaves her another gospel tract. And he just says something to her in passing about, you know, God's love and, and then just walked out. But he just kept praying for her. Then about a month later, he did the same thing again. And to his shock and amazement, she was still working there. They requested to, to sit in her section. And uh, the waitress came up to her, recognized them immediately. And she said, you know, I've got something I need to share with you. And uh, Robert Moore said, well, what, what is it? And she said, well, I took that track home and I read it. And I want you to know I prayed that prayer at the end of it. And he was trying to contain his excitement. He and his wife were, you know, and, but he was just elated and thrilled. And she said, she said in fact, I even, I even called my husband on the phone and I read the track to him. And he prayed the prayer at the end too. And he was like blown away like at this. This is like amazing and so incredible. And, um, and so then he asked her, he said, well, why do you, have, is your husband, a, you know, does he travel a lot? I mean, why did you have to call him? And she said, no, he, he's in prison right now. He's going to be in prison for a couple of years. And she said, um, 
you know, that's really made it difficult on, on, on me financially, as you can imagine. And she said, I just want to thank you for your generosity because it really helped out in a, in a time of need. And so uh, he went on to share how he and his wife discipled this lady for two years. And then her husband got out of jail and then he discipled him and both of them joined his church and started growing in their relationship with God. And it was all because he had a heart to share the gospel with her and he had the means to share extra money with her and to be a blessing in that way. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he talks about storing up for yourselves treasure in heaven. That's what he's talking about. That our hearts are so set on the kingdom of God that we want to share that good news every, every which way we can. And it's fascinating because there's a, there's a verse in Luke, I think it's Luke 16, where Jesus says, use worldly wealth to make friends in heaven. And he says, they will welcome you into eternal dwellings. Now, the picture that I have of that is this, that someday when Robert Morris and his wife gets to heaven, he's gonna meet that couple and they're gonna come up to him and say, thank you so much for sharing the gospel with us, for discipling in us and for giving to us. They made friends for all of eternity. And I think that's what God wants us to be about. That's what he wants us to do uh, for his glory. That's what he wants us to do, to store up treasure in heaven. And it's really the gospel. It really is. I mean, think, God gave up what was most precious to him. Jesus gave up what was most precious to him, the relationship with the Father. Jesus gave up his life so that he could have friends in heaven. And that's how much he loves you, church. That's what he gave up for you. And he says, if you'll trust me, I will bless you and I will work through you to change people's lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray um, today that you would, just through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would just search our hearts. God, you know how we all struggle with this. And I pray that you would give us the grace and the, the mercy that we need to see what is ultimately of value, to see what true treasure is, to see that worldly wealth doesn't last, that Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and Vladimir Putin, God, they're not gonna take it with them, but they will stand before you as we will stand before you. And I pray, God, that you would have our hearts because you're where the joy is. You're where the light is. You're where the life is. And so we just pray uh, as we think about this amazing week ahead, God, I pray that you would use us to be a light and a witness this week. I pray that you would invite people through us to come this weekend to hear the greatest message in the history of the world. The game changer that is Easter Sunday. And what the resurrection is really all about. And I just ask that lives would be changed. And that you would use us, use our money, 
Use our time, use our prayers, use, use all that we have, God, for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.